Hey, good morning, everyone. Worship good this morning. Very thankful for our worship team. We thank the Lord for them. Just grateful for them, the job they do every week, every week. Um, as Pastor Brandon was talking about, we had uh, an outreach this week of just handing out school supplies to uh, those from kindergarten to fourth grade in the Wayne Central uh, School District. And um, I just wanted to share just one really neat story that happened on Tuesday when we were doing the handouts. And there was a single mom that was walking across the street. She lives in the mobile home park with just four adorable kids, and they were so excited about getting their school supplies. And I had a chance to to, to talk to her, and she just thanked us over and over for, for doing this and was asking questions about the church, and I was telling her about the kids' ministries and uh, wanted to come to church. And she goes, I, I just want to share something with you that happened to me. Um, I don't have a car. She goes, I had to walk to the store, and I, was, I didn't realize how far I had to walk. And there was a woman who stopped and asked if I needed a ride. And she was, she was like an angel. It was like an angel that stopped and asked for a ride. She goes, oh, I would love a ride. And it, come to find out, it was someone from our church. And uh, this person told this one she invited, invited her to our church. So she goes, I already heard about your church before. This. So whoever you are who did that, way to go. Way to go. Thank you for representing Living Word well. Yeah, very. I'm just so thankful uh, through our VBS and just what the teens did this past weekend and through the school uh, giveaway, you know, we, we exist for our community. The community is not here for us. We're here for them. And these are just different tangible ways that we can just reach out to our community and just let them know that we love them, that we're here to serve them, and through that, show them um, the love of Christ. So thank you for continuing to pray for our community and, and obviously our missions and what we do around the world, but praying for our community and, and your giving and your generosity are all part of that and your service to the Lord is all part of that so people can know who Jesus is. And it's making a difference. Just a small way of picking some, I wouldn't recommend that all the time, but if the Lord leads you, of picking someone up and just inviting them to church, um, you're making a difference in people's lives. So to God be the glory. That's exciting. Let's thank the Lord for that. I mean, to God be the glory. God is so good. We're, uh, we're, we're, we're in a series this summer looking at living out godly character, and we're going to talk about a fun one today. So I am so glad that you came to church and so no one can leave, all right? Uh, we're talking about self-control today, and I want you to think for a moment, what is your favorite, favorite dessert or snack? And do you use a lot of self-control when you're eating this favorite snack or dessert? Mine is just, man, I love chocolate chip cookies. And, uh, and, and I like potato chips. And it's like that old Lay's commercial. You just can't stop at one. You just can't eat one. That is me. And every single one of us have some area of our life that we struggle to use self-control. And what we're looking at is the characteristics of those who are a follower of Jesus Christ. There should be something different about our lives. And that's what we're looking at today. And so we've been going through these different godly characteristics each week. Today we're going to look at self-control. And uh, we want to look at what are the character traits of those who say or claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now I want us to understand that God does care about your character. He cares way more about who you are than what you do. It's how you do it. Whatever you do, whatever your occupation is, do you do it with character? Is, is the Spirit of Christ in you, and does it show in whatever you do? And we define character this way. It includes our thoughts, our habits, our temperament, 
judgment, attitude, motives, behavior, all these things make up our character. So what does it mean to live out godly character in our lives? We talked about this a little bit last week, that godly character is part of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. Something that was in us, when we come to Christ and we bow our knee to him and he becomes our Lord and Savior, we find forgiveness through Christ of our sin, God gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit. Now is the Holy Spirit with us, but actually the Holy Spirit is now in us. It lives within us. There's this, there's this living, breathing relationship that we have with God. Growing up, we had kind of a religious relationship with God, like our family went to church once a week, and it was always 57 minutes long. You could clock it, because I, I was, as a kid, sitting in the pew, I'm like, five more minutes, countdown. I wish, at that church, I wish they had a countdown at the end instead of like at the beginning, like we do have. I'm like, five more minutes, here we go, we're almost done. And it wasn't, it, it was just something we did, and maybe you can relate to that. It became more religious than really a relationship with Christ Jesus. But I want you to understand, a relationship with Christ Jesus is the most exciting thing in the world, because God changes us. He sets us free from our sin. He imparts his Holy Spirit in us, and he gives us a passion to live life now with purpose. Not just with purpose, but on purpose. And with it, he fills us with this. Is everybody here this morning? I'm just checking. I had my espresso this morning, so I'm wound up, okay? So I don't know what's going to happen. But with the Holy Spirit in us, there should be these characteristics that flow from us. And what Paul talks about is being spirit-filled. There's this evidence of a spirit-filled lives by the fruit that follows us. Something should be produced. And he says this to the church in Galatians, uh, Galatians chapter 5. And he talks about what should follow a spirit-filled believer who has a relationship, a breathing, living relationship with Jesus Christ, which is so exciting. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against this thing, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Amen to God's word. Listen, this is what Paul is talking about. Not only is the Holy Spirit in us, but let us walk in the Spirit. Let us get in line with the Spirit. And these characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit will follow our lives. Now, I want us to be careful here because it's more than just trying to be good. It's not a life that says, look at my kindness or goodness or faithfulness or patience or, self, or, or self-control. If we are not careful we can become boastful in our pursuit of self-righteousness. Our our pursuit of wanting to be godly can turn into self-righteousness and it becomes more about me and not Christ in me. And we need to be careful that we're just not seeking a virtuous life for the sole purpose of how it makes me look. So here's where I want us to be careful. I want us to be careful that we just don't take Jesus and use him as an add-on to our lives. If Jesus can help me be successful, if Jesus can make my life better, which, he, which he, can, he does make our lives better, but if it's for the sole purpose of what I can get out of it for myself, our pursuit is completely with the wrong motives. 
And it's interesting, if you've ever studied the life of Benjamin Franklin, I've read some autobiographies and some biographies of Benjamin Franklin, watched a whole series on it. It was very, very interesting. Benjamin Franklin was brought up in a very religious family, a Puritan family. He was taught the word of God, what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as as he grew, he kind of moved away from orthodox Christianity, but he still pursued the virtuous life. And what he began to do is he began to pursue the God of works. How can I be virtuous? I still believe in God, but not necessarily the orthodox Christianity, not necessarily salvation. So he began to pursue this virtual or this virtuous life through works and how good I can become in my life apart from really salvation and having Christ control his life. And this is where we need to be careful. It's not just seeking a a virtuous life. It's seeking Christ and having him control our lives and pursuing him. And when we do that, Paul says these things will follow us. So self-control is a byproduct of a spirit-filled life. Self-control is a byproduct of a spirit-filled life. And when our life is spirit-filled, it means God is in control of our lives. So why is self-control so difficult? Why is this such a battle in our lives? Because it's wanting the ability to stop something you're doing, but you can't. It's having that ability to want to stop something you're doing, but you can't. And we can't simply look at self-control in the areas of of addiction. Self-control is needed in so many parts of our lives. We need self-control in our anger, our tongues, our emotions, in the area of our, our finances. We need control in all these different areas of our lives. We need control over these things if God's going to have control over our lives. So the only way we can overcome our wrong desires is to actually walk by the Spirit. And listen, people can be good apart from God, right? People can do good things apart from God. But what Paul is saying, a life that's truly controlled by the Spirit of God is one that's saying that Christ truly has control over my life. And Paul tells us that a life that is yielding to the Spirit will produce good fruit. And we have to remind ourselves that our flesh is right there, right? Our flesh is right there. Our flesh is subject to our fallen nature, But we have to understand that we are transformed and filled with the Holy Spirit when we come to Christ. So there's a power in us through the presence of the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability now to make the right choice for Christ, to help us in this area of self-control. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability now to please Christ and to help us in our times of weakness. So why is self-control so vital in our lives? Here's the reason why. If we don't use self-control in our lives, we can lose so much. How many of us can think at a time of our life where we didn't use self-control in our life and we paid the dividends of that? We, we allow our emotions to get the best of us, right? We weren't in control of our, our spending and we got into debt. Right? If we don't use self-control, we can lose so much. Solomon explains it this way. He explains a life without, uh, without self-control this way in Proverbs 25, 28, when he says, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Isn't that interesting? A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Let me give you a word picture because this is the word picture that Solomon is giving us here. It's a picture of not having any security or defense. A city without a wall is open to attack. 
A city's defense was only as strong as their walls. If, if this wall was, was penetrated or broken through, it opened them up to the enemy. It's a picture of not having security or defense. It's a, a city with no walls has no protection. They're literally defenseless. Isn't it interesting how Solomon says a person without self-control is a defenseless person? And this is what he means. This is so good. Listen to this. Listen, this is so good. A, if a person... If a person does not have a strong defense, is not using self-control in their life, other things will control them. So, so look at this picture. Without a strong wall, a wall of defense, the city is no longer in control. Who's in control? The enemy who's going to come and just penetrate that wall. This is exactly what Solomon is saying. When we lose control in our life, something else will take control. Any amens out there? Just give me one. Okay, good, good. I just want to make sure you guys are with me. See, see, this is, this is, this is why self-control is so important. Does my anger control me? Does my anger control me? So, are my, are my, am I in control of my finances or are my finances controlling me? See, without self-control, something else will control you. Self-control is a wall of defense that keeps the enemy out. It keeps the enemy out. It keeps wrong desires at bay. You see, self-control keeps us from becoming unguarded and allowing destructive behaviors to rule our lives. So whether it's it's severe self-control issues, maybe addictive patterns, or it's small ones. If we can't control our temper, our emotions, it will literally destroy our relationships. Uncontrolled spending, not having your mind on your money, it will control you. How many have ever said, I have no idea where all my money goes? Have you ever said that? And you said that, here's the reason why. We don't know where it's going because our mind is not on our money. The money is controlling us. Now, I can't remember, um, Pastor Brandon, if this was Financial Peace University that we learned from Dave Ramsey, um, but there's this neat little tool that they gave about how to get control over your spending. And it, it's just a, it's, it's a little practice, but they said for a week, log, whether it's on your phone or journaling, log everything you spend your money on, everything whether it's a small pack of gum or for all of you here, Dunkin' Donuts. I think we keep Dunkin' Donuts in business here in Ontario because I know you guys like your Dunkin' Donuts, right? And so when you begin to write it all down and you get to the end of the week and and you begin to add it all up, what usually happens? You're like, whoa, I didn't realize. Now I know where all my money's going because my mind is now on my money. I'm getting control of my spending. And all of a sudden you begin to think to yourself, you know what, honey? We might need a budget. This might help. So we only have a $5 budget for Dunkin' Donuts. And that's done usually at 7 o'clock on Monday morning, right? That's done. That budget is over with. But listen, the reason why is because you don't have control. You don't, your mind is not on it. And see, a mind that is on Christ and what we do and how we do it has its walls as its strength and its defense to not allow the enemy in. 
So whether it's small or large, we need to have control in our lives. And so it's the same thing with our tongue and with our emotions. When we say something in the heat of the moment and we don't have control over our tongue and we say things that we don't mean to say, what do we end up doing after a while? We think about what we say and we may have said it very emotionally and then we end up apologizing for what we said later, right? That's happened to none of us in this room, right? We've all done that, right? Why? There's a control issue. We allowed our defenses down. We allowed our emotions to get the best of us. And we said things that were either hard or mean that we had to apologize for later. Self-control is not restricting us in any way or taking away our freedom. It's just the opposite. I love what what Charles Dyer says here. He says, absolute freedom without any self-control will always produce chaos. Always produce chaos. Self-control provides the boundaries inside which true freedom and creativity can flourish. When we live a self-controlled life before the Lord, actually it allows us to live our, our life before Christ with freedom and gives us to the ability to serve him in a such greater way. I want you to look at it this way. Self-control is actually a gift that God gives us through the presence of his Holy Spirit. It's a good thing that frees us from living a controlled life by wrong desire. Wrong desires. How many of you remember this when you began to serve Christ and you used to do things that were just out of control? And then all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, but Christians, they, their, their lives are kind of boring because they just don't do anything fun, right? And you're thinking, well, it, it just it doesn't look fun. But then you look at your life and you're like, wow, I stopped doing a lot of these things that I was out of control in. And now that Christ is taking control of my life, I have more freedom. And I live with fewer regrets. Hello, right? That's good, right? That's good. That's a gift. Listen, that's a gift that God gives you not to take things away, but to give you freedom to truly live in him. It frees us from living with regrets. Control is good when it comes to our desires. Why? Because not every one of your desires is good. Right? Right? How many of you... Anytime I hear this, I just, I just want to pull my hair out, right? What's left of it. I just want to like, what is going on here? Anytime I hear somebody say, just follow your heart. Well, what's your, what's your heart telling you? What's your, what's your inner voice, right? Have you ever heard someone say that? What's your heart telling you? And, and if, we don't, if we don't juxtapose that next to the word of God, how many times following your heart, that just got you into a world of trouble, right? How did that work out for you? I mean, Jeremiah says, our heart is deceitful above all things and wicked. Who can trust it? Don't, please don't trust your heart. It will give you in a heap of trouble. See, control is good when it comes to our desires because it will keep our defenses up. It'll keep the wall strong and not allowing the enemy to come in. So, how do we work this out? How do we, how do we remain strong with so much temptation around us? The Apostle Paul gives us some interesting insight into self-control that I believe will greatly help us. So, let's see what Paul says. What did he do in his life that kept him strong and helped him keep his defenses up? And using restraint in his life. First Corinthians chapter 9, I love this. This is what he says. Verses 23 through 27. He says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel, 
that I might share in its blessings. And in, what he does is he goes into this illustration, this, this imagery of an athlete training, training for the Olympics, training to win a prize. And he relates this to his self-control and self-restraint and his walk with Christ and his discipline as he follows the Lord. Listen to what he says. He says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Now, he tells us, totally different for us. Because for those that run in Christ Jesus, we all get the prize. There's no first, second, and third. Everybody say amen for those of you that always got picked last in gym class. Amen? Didn't you love that? Gosh, that was such an awkward time, especially when we did sports that I was terrible at, right? He says, run in such a way as to get the prize. He says, everyone who competes in a game goes into what? Strict training. Now, I want you to see something about that word. Strict training in the Greek has a very interesting translation. And he says, what he says now, he says, then do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So these that would run the race at Olympics would get a, a, a laurel wreath and it would, it would fade. It wouldn't last forever. And this is what they were trained for, to get the wreath, to say that they were the best. But Paul says, we don't run in that way. Our purpose is much different. Our purpose is eternal. Our purpose lasts forever. He says, we get a crown that lasts forever. He says, therefore, here's the difference of his life in Christ Jesus and his strict training in comparison to someone who was training in the Olympics. He says, therefore, do not run like someone running aimlessly. And what he's saying is, for those things, they have a purpose, but they run out. They get a laurel wreath on their, on their head, but it fades. He goes, don't run like you're running aimlessly. Now, I run, I jog, I, it's a fast walk, but anyways, I, I run. If you, if you, and I run in our neighborhood, and many of you live in our neighborhood. If you, if you see me running, I'm running in a circle like this in our neighborhood, please call a paddy wagon or something because I've lost it, right? No, I'm running from point A to point B around to run two or three miles, whatever I do. Um, I'm running with a purpose to get done, right? To, to, if I'm just running in a circle, there's no purpose to that running. And what Paul is saying is don't run like someone just running aimlessly. He goes, I do not fight like a boxer just beating the air uselessly. No, he goes, I strike a blow to my body and make it, make it my slave so after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. Listen, what Paul is saying is my life has purpose. My discipline in the Lord, my discipleship in the Lord, my pursuit for Christ has meaning because it's something that has eternal significance. It's not something that will fade away. It's something that I do that has way beyond myself. Because when it's done for Christ, it has eternal significance. Think about it for a moment. When you minister to somebody else in the name of Jesus, and you look beyond yourself, and maybe your own hurts and your own pains, and you pray for them, and maybe you even have the wonderful opportunity of leading somebody to Christ, do you realize that has eternal significance? I remember one pastor called it shockwaves through eternity. I love that. I never forget that message. It does. It causes shockwaves through eternity. It's something that lasts forever. And so Paul says, my strict training 
has a purpose, and I'm willing to give up everything else if it means reaching somebody with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the message of Jesus Christ. So what do these passages have to do with self-control? What do these passages have to do with self-control and about training? Because sometimes we think like, is my life me, you know, meaningless? I mean, you know, I'm reading the Bible every day. Is it really making a difference? Is, is really coming to church making a difference? You know, praying every day for my family or my neighbor, is it really making a difference? Can I tell you? It is. It is. You may not see it now, but it is. And it reminds me of a great movie from the 80s. Um, if you guys ever watched it, Karate Kid. Karate Kid won the first one, right? If you guys haven't seen it, please get a life. <laughs> Go home now. After not now, but after the service, and watch Karate Kid. But it was funny because you know you've got you got Daniel's son. You got Daniel, right? He moves from New Jersey to California, meet, meets this this gentleman who is the caretaker of their apartment complex, and uh, Mr. Miyagi. And uh, Daniel gets picked on in school. He, he gets bullied. So he knows Mr. Miyagi knows karate, and he and he sees him, and he's like, "Oh, can you can you teach me karate?" Now he thinks. Just being with Mr. Miyagi for five minutes, just you know, teach me a couple, you know, and let me just take these guys down. And Mr. Miyagi goes, okay, if you want me to train you, I will. Here's some wax. There's my car. Wax on and wax off. Remember that? And Daniel's like, what? This is not training. But Mr. Miyagi knew something. He knew something about discipline. Right? He knew something that the wax on and wax was going to teach him something later on. That, that Daniel didn't know about until later. But it took a lot of discipline. And by the end of the day, his arm, remember, he was sore, and then he had to do the painting on the, if you didn't see it, you got to see it. It's a great movie. You know, get a life, okay? So he's doing the painting on the, on the fence, but it was teaching him something. And what it was teaching him was self-restraint. It was teaching him discipline. That it's not just about the fight that he wanted to win and, or battle. It was about learning discipline. And see, what we see in this translation, what we don't see is the word self-control in these verses that Paul talked about in the English translation of these verses. However, I want you to notice something. Paul, when he speaks about uh, strict training in verse 25, the Greek word there actually means to exercise self-restraint. What Paul is actually saying is self-control. Self-restraint. This is what I do in my life so the gospel may be presented. Paul uses the word to explain what athletes have to endure if they're going to do well. They have to exercise self-control in every area of their lives if they're going to compete well. And so Paul says, I, if I'm going to run this race well, then I have to use self-restraint. I have to use self-control in my life so that God can use me to the greatest of my ability. And so the, I, I love this training metaphor because it just reminds me of the best movie ever made, and that was Pride and Prejudice. No, I'm just teasing. Um, Rocky, when you guys know if you've been here long enough, about once a month I always talk about Rocky, so get over it, okay? And if you haven't seen Rocky 1, oh my goodness, please get a life. Rocky and Karate Kid, that's what you're doing this afternoon, Okay. What I love about Rocky 1, it's, it's just a low-budget movie, but it's so well done, so well done. And uh, if you remember Rocky, I'm going to give it away, so that's okay, just get over it. So Rocky, remember the beginning, he gets, he's just, a, he's just a, you know, this fighter in Philadelphia to 
just a nasty boxing club, you know, and he's just trying to make 20 bucks and he's always getting his face bashed in. And then after, right after the fight, he's getting all the stuff taken off and he's smoking a cigarette. Like he's not training. He's not really in shape. He's just, and all of a sudden he gets picked out of, to, to fight the champion in this exhibition round. Just his name just gets picked out of nowhere, right? All of a sudden he has to start training. And he has to start getting serious. And he's got to start drinking raw eggs. And he's got, to, he's got to stop smoking, right? Remember in the movie when he runs up the steps of the, of the Philadelphia uh, Museum of Art and the first time he's running up, he can't, <laughs> he can't do it. He's sucking wind because he is not disciplined. He is totally out of control in this shape. So I fulfilled a lifelong dream. And I'm going to show you this clip right here, right? I just want to show you real quick. Okay. Now, that's not green screen. That's true. So I didn't know my wife. Yeah, I know. So I didn't know my wife was video. That I would have done a lot faster. But she showed me later. She goes, I got you. And it's funny because when you're running up the steps, there's other people doing it with music playing of the Rocky theme. I'm like, what is... What is going on? And you get to the top, and there's actually footprints where he stands, you know, at the end when he really runs that hard, right? I'm having an emotional moment there. It was like, Kathleen's like, are you okay? I'm like, honey, you just don't understand how much I love the Rocky, Rocky one. And then I got to stand with the statue. I mean, it was just, it was... It was, it was a moment. It was just a moment for me. So here's the thing. It was discipline. If he didn't discipline his life... If he didn't use self-control, there's no way. And all he wanted to do is what? Go the distance. If I could just go the distance, 15 rounds, he goes, I feel like I'm somebody, right? Listen, this is what Paul's saying. He goes, I beat my body into subjection that it might preach the gospel. So what does this mean? What does this mean? Paul's speaking about the spiritual life, says he strikes his body into submission. Now, we're not to take this literally, Right? But what he's saying here is he's subjecting himself to Christ and resisting the things that would keep him running the race. Do you get that? I mean, I know that there are pleasures in this world, but I want you to know they're momentary. They're momentary. And there may be things and friends that you have, teenagers, there may be friends, they'd say, hey, come follow me. And there's this momentary pleasure and they're going to try to seduce you to do these things that you know are just temporary. And I want you to know that through self-restraint and self-control by saying, you know what, I know this isn't for me. Listen, you may get ridiculed. Listen, adults, we battle with peer pressure too, don't we? (laughs) We do. And there are things that we might have a temporary pleasure, but we know in the long run, it's not for our good. And what, and what Paul is saying is, I'm going to forgo some of these things that for a moment may seem great, but I'm going to forgo these things because I know in the long run, Christ has something far greater for me. Far greater for me. And we can even see this in, in, if, if you, you know, weight train or you use weights and you're exercising. It's all about resistance, isn't it? It's all it is. It's resistance. Your, your resistance to the pressure of the weights And what it's actually doing is making your muscles stronger. Your muscles are resisting against the weights. Without resistance, you will not go stronger. Every time you resist, listen, every time you resist and you self-restraint, you're getting stronger. Do you hear me? You're actually getting stronger. Christ is getting stronger in you. 
See, Paul is comparing sharing the gospel to athletic training. He's doing everything he can to prepare and be disciplined. And so through your, whether it's through your Bible reading or your prayer time, you know, you may think, gosh, is is God doing something in my heart? I want you to realize you're training yourself. By coming to church and disciplining yourself in those areas of life, by putting God first in your life, you may not see the results right away, but God is doing a work in your life. Because what you're doing is you're resisting something else to allow God to take control in your life. And so Paul is not talking about willpower. If you believe it, you can achieve it stuff. It's not mind over matter. It's not just have willpower. Don't eat too many chocolate chip cookies. That's not what Paul's talking about. Truthfully, we can't trust our emotions because we're tainted by sin. So what keeps the athlete training, Paul says? It's the prize. What keeps Paul from not giving up? It's the prize that he will receive by faithfully serving the Lord. Paul's priorities were in the right place because Christ had his heart. So self-control is not based in my will or my willpower. Self-control is based on Christ having control over my heart and my desires. So how do we remain strong? Because listen, let's be honest. That same temptation is going to be there tomorrow and the next week and that, right? Until we get to heaven, we're going to, we're going to have time. Jesus was tempted, we're going to be tempted, Right? Paul gives this wonderful passage. Paul has this wonderful words for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 on how do we deal with temptation in our lives. And I want you to realize that in Christ Jesus, we now have a way out. And Paul actually uses the word, we now have a way of escape. Listen to what Paul says here to the church in Corinth. He says, these things happened to them as an example that were written down as a warning to us. He's speaking about those things that were written in the word of God or a warning to us here today to heed them, to understand when people make bad decisions, here's what happens. They're a warning for us. And then he goes on to say in verse 12, so if you think, this is so important, he goes, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Don't trust yourself. And then he says in verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Do you see where the strength comes in? He's not saying that we'll never have tests or trials in our life. We'll all have tests and trials. But he said there's a way we can endure it now through the strength of Christ Jesus. In verse 11, Paul tells us, that the stories that are written in the word of God are there for our benefit. They're there for our warning. Verse 12, he he tells us not to depend on our own strength. If If you think you're standing, if you think you're all that, if you think you got it all together, guess what? You don't. And see, for me, this is where the church comes in. I'm gonna finish, I'm gonna shut up in just a minute. But listen to me, this is where the church comes in. We think strength, men, men, especially listen to me right now, men, listen. We are so afraid to be vulnerable with one another. We're so afraid to share a weakness, right? Because we're, we're taught, our culture tells us, don't let them see you sweat. Don't show your vulnerability. And then later I see the train wreck of that type of thinking. See, if the church is doing what it's supposed to do, then we should be a people that can open up to one another and say, hey, I'm struggling here, brother. Can you pray for me? That's given the devil a black eye. I, we have a, 
men's group that meets every Thursday at 6.30. Men, you're invited. Come on out. And I love, we've been meeting for years. But I love how these men open up. We've got small groups. Um, we've got new rooted groups, these 10-week experience. Many went through. We're starting them again in September. And the stories that I hear of people just opening up, being vulnerable with their weaknesses and allowing people to pray for them actually gives them strength. And I want you to know, if the church is truly going to be the church, then we need to be vulnerable with one another and be able to open up with one another and say, hey, you know what? I'm not doing good here, and I need, I need prayer for this. That's how we make it through. Please, the last thing we want are people hiding in a dark cave all by themselves with no one to talk to because they're afraid, number one, they're going to be judged. Or number two, what's someone going to think of me if I share this with them? I hope and pray that's not the culture of our church. I want the culture of our church to be a church where we know that we love each other and every single, listen, every single one of us is messed up somewhere, somehow, some past, blah, blah, right? My prayer is that we can take our messiness and be able to trust that with a close person or a close friend or someone that's going to pray for me. That's where freedom comes in. That's the ability to overcome temptation. See, the enemy wants you in a dark cave. The enemy wants you to keep that a secret all by yourself. Because when we expose it, it loses its grip and its power over us. When we're vulnerable to one another, that power of that, that control that that thing had over us no longer has its grip on our heart when we confess it to the Lord and to one another. That's what the church should be like. That's how we should be embracing each other and loving each other. That's why I love um, the small groups. We've been talking about um, Root in a couple weeks, and and hopefully if you haven't gone through, we want you to sign up for it. Um, God's done some incredible, incredible things through that. See, God is faithful to help you and give you strength to overcome. And here's a beautiful thing that Paul says. We have a choice now, right? We have a choice not to give in to those things that we used to give in to. And now through Christ Jesus and his strength, we have a choice now to follow him and glorify him in our lives. And here's the good news. When we do make a mistake, which we all will, we can go to him and find forgiveness and healing that Christ receives us back. Aren't you grateful for his grace today? That's giving him control. So my question to you as we, as we get ready to take communion and to pray, what area do you need the Holy Spirit to help you with when it comes to self-control? What area do you know? Holy Spirit, I need your help. This is one area that I'm struggling with. Be vulnerable to God and let God give you the strength there. Maybe share that with somebody else, another strong believer in the Lord that you can pray with, that that they can help you and you can pray with one another to help you through those struggles. Allow, listen, allow self-control to be your wall of defense. The more you take control the more you self-restrain in your life, the greater your defense is against the enemy. The more you hide things, your walls come crumbling down and it leaves room for the enemy to attack. Let Christ be your wall today. Let him be your strength. Amen? All right. I'm going to shut up and we're going to take communion. And um, I want you to take out your communion cups and um, if you just break the the tab and there's a foil on top that will reveal the the wafer um and then the next silver tab if you pull that back i know this is so hard at times i know it 
It's even hard for me right now, but we're going to do it. And then that will reveal the juice, and we're going to take communion together. So why don't you go ahead and do that now, and we're going to pray for you, and the worship team's going to come up, and we're going to close in song. Amen. Amen. Can we pray? And as we partake in communion today, I want to remind you of the blood and why it was shed for you and I. The reason why we take communion is we do this in remembrance of what Jesus did for us. Jesus, when he was with his disciples during the Last Supper, said, whenever you take of this, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus' bloodshed on the cross was a sacrifice. He was perfect, we weren't. He bore our sins on the cross. He was a perfect sacrifice and he appeased the righteous demands of God. So by putting our faith in Christ Jesus, we can find forgiveness. The reason why we take communion is we remember that it's through Jesus' perfect sacrifice that we are made whole, that we are cleansed, that we are free from our sins. And it's through faith in Christ and Christ alone that gives us the ability to stand before a holy God. So as we take communion today, just allow God to examine your heart. If there's anything in there that you need to confess to him, this is a good time to do it. And allow him to cleanse you through his son, Jesus. And as we take this today, let us always remember that it's only through Christ that we're saved. And what does that mean, saved? It means we're saved from God's judgment. God no longer holds our sin over us any longer because of our faith in Christ Jesus. And through that faith, we're now imparted with the righteousness of Christ and we can stand before a holy God and walk in his freedom today. So as we take communion today, let us remember that. So can we just pray and ask God to help us today? Father God, as we come before you today, we thank you for your love and your goodness and what you've done for us. We thank you for these emblems that are in our hands. The bread symbolizes your body that was given for us, that was beaten, nails driven into your hands and your feet. Thank you for giving everything for us. The cup symbolizes your blood that was shed for us. The word of God says that there can be no forgiveness of sin unless there's shedding of blood. And we thank you, Jesus, that you took that penalty for us. You that was perfect in every way became our substitute. So thank you for dying in our place and healing us today that we might stand before a holy God and experience eternal life through Jesus, the Son of God. So as we partake of this today, we remember what you did for us. Cleanse us today in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's first partake of the bread together. Amen. And then let's partake of the cup together, symbolizing Jesus' precious blood. Amen. Amen. When you've done that, if you could stand with me. We're just going to close in song today and um, just sing about the precious blood of Jesus Christ and what he's done for, for us. So let's sing that to him. God bless you.